0: Let us pray. Father God, as we come before your word this morning. In a passage we believe we know well, but we know. There's so much more here. For our eyes of faith to see, we pray that you just bless us with a great feast from your word. We ask this in the precious and strong. And saving name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Us Protestants, and maybe I should clarify, us Bible believing, still within the historic faith Protestants, we are a people known for the fact that we unapologetically declare that we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith if, if uh, really when it comes down to it, when we boil it down, that we have faith in the one in whom provides salvation. And yet sometimes within Protestantism, this can kind of be one of those things that's just rationally understood by us. It sort of becomes like this math equation that we it becomes this cold reality where it's it's kind of like... The faith itself is is just that which saves, but we forget an aspect, a key central aspect in the matter of faith. And it's this. For faith to actually be faith, it must overcome obstacles. The very idea of faith, an essential property of faith, is that Faith has demonstrations of being saving faith, so it's not so much that we're saved by faith alone, but we are saved by a faith that is never alone because God inspires and directs the patterns of that faith. He directs our faith Ephesians chapter two is a a great place to go to to kind of uh, begin to explore this idea in, in greater fullness. And it's not a coincidence that as we read the Bible, one of the most repeated phrases throughout is, do not be afraid. Or another way to put it, basically, have faith. Think of, think of if you're afraid to board a plane. What are you doubting when you're afraid to board a plane? You don't maybe have faith in the pilot. You don't have faith in the plane. You don't like to give up control uh, of your life to someone else. You have these barriers of fear. And yet here we have a Bible that throughout the story declares to us, do not be afraid. Think of even the Christmas story. What does the angel first come to Mary and say? Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have actually found favor in the sight of the Lord. And that's a key thing to understand as we come to one of the most well known sections in all of scripture there are very few things if we uh took a poll a straw poll of the entire world there are very few stories there are very few uh things known. there are very few stories and i'll call this a story not as is, as is, as if this is a fiction but just this story being told this true story of god is just well known by both believer and unbeliever every i mean it it seems like every few years modern hollywood has lately tried to bastardize this story but this is a well known story a well known moment we are in and find ourselves in scripture And this is one of the great moments of faith being tested in the Bible. And so the passage we're looking at today says a lot about the matter of faith. Now, in the early verses of our reading this morning, we can see that God is at the helm. He's, we've already learned this last week. He's actually guiding them, directing their paths by uh, a p- cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And then we see God at the start of verse 1 of chapter 14 do something rather significant but often overlook. He has his people change course. He has his people backtrack. Now, I am someone who prides himself on being a great navigator when we go on vacation. I, I like to plot out the course I already have like gas stations planned and all sorts of things for an upcoming vacation. I, I like to plot these things out. And, and my wife has seen the experience where maybe I get us 20 minutes along the way going a little. It's, good, it's going to take a little longer to get to the destination. That, that frustrates me. I remember one time I still grumble a lot. At, I think of my wife for this. I still make fun of her for this. One time. We just got to Oklahoma and I went to the back to go take a nap. She was supposed to basically be through Oklahoma into Missouri. And I go take a nap and I wake up as we're driving across the country and we find ourselves in the middle of Arkansas, Eastern Arkansas. We are six hours further. Have we just had parked? and stayed while I slept, we would have been six hours closer to our destination. And I don't think we broke out in flight, but I was definitely murmuring. There was definitely some murmuring going on. This is the God of the universe leading his people, and they're going in one direction. And God, who's already told us in chapter 13, he didn't take them the way of to the, directly to the land of the Philistines because he knew the people would run right back to Egypt if he did. But this God all of a sudden changes their course and has them go backtrack. Why does he have them go backtrack? He has them go and backtrack because he is a God who desires to do such a thing in order to... Bless our faith. So here is this people, and they're being led by a cloud that manifests the glory of God. And they see this glory of God, reverse direction, and head backwards. And you know what the temptation would have been in that moment. It would have been, God doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't even know where he's taking me. And while for us it might not be as comfortable as other pathways God could lead his people down, bumpy roads that require faith. Well, we worship a God who loves to arrange those kinds of things in the road trip of our life. And yet also the God arranges this so that it might catch the attention of evil. This passage illustrates for us. The evil is not indifferent to the course that God has his people walk. Actually, evil sees a faltering, backtracking people of God as an opportunity to conquer God's people. It believes it has the upper hand in such moments, and we see that illustrated in this text by the actions of Pharaoh. Actually, if you look at the Hebrew in verse 3 there, um, part of what is getting at what what god's word is getting at there is is pharaoh is going to look at this people and he's considered them basically a herd without direction it, the animal imagery is is tied up into the hebrew but don't we also see this kind of thing in our own day why are so many people lying in our own day and too fearful to say simple truths in the public square think things like god designed marriage. For a man and a woman. And it's a gift of God. Things like the sexualization of women. And the appetite of men who seek it out. Is destroying certain bedrocks of our society. Or even the biblical idea that all lives matter. And there's only one ultimately ultimate race. In regards to God's economy. And it's the human race. Or even the foundational things of what a man is or what a woman is. These things are simple. These things are self-evident truths. But why are so many people afraid to say these things that they know to be true? Even within the church. Why is Eva thriving in our own day? For some, it's because of the reason that Pharaoh, a Pharaoh in this passage, They see the opportunity. They see the church. They see the vacuum. They see the void. They see what appears to be a headless church. And they're opportunistic. And they want to seize that ground. But for others, and I would suggest this passage alludes to this problem, it's just that they've convinced themselves that evils gain the upper hand. And they're just afraid of it. And if you're afraid of evil right now, this is a wonderfully comforting passage. I wish, I wish that evil wasn't so easy to find, but it is. And yet as evil gains confidence and its plots to de- and its plots destroy the things which God loves, and we're a part of that group, and his, his, and his law is even a part of that group, the group that God loves, this passage will offer us a better word this morning. And so we can see in verse 3, Pharaoh is inspired as he sees this backtracking Israel to go out to meet them, to once again subdue them. And as we look at Exodus 14, this is all actually a part of God's sovereign plan. This is part of the reason why, while it appears the GPS is broken and they're backtracking, God actually wants this to happen. God wants to fool evil into thinking God's asleep at the helm. That God's not leading his people well. So let us attack the ones for whom the Lord loves. And yet God will use this belief by evil to generously and gloriously prove once again that he is the great I am. The God who fully both redeems and saves. God has a legacy of making himself known. It's a theme that carries on from the very first verse of Scripture of making himself known through the grandeur of his glory all the way through to the end of the Bible. It is something that I believe we'll always be learning about God, even in heaven above, because there's something to being seen more of God that is just so beautiful, in chaos, in conflict, in death, and in danger. God uses moments like these to make himself known. God will actually end up telling Moses a total of nine times in Exodus, two times in our passage today. I'm doing this, Moses. He says both in verse 4 and verse 18. Actually, we're not covering 18 today. So people would know that I am the Lord. So that. Gives me a moment for a point of application. If for them, he's allowing them to face hardship, to to face these great obstacles to their faith in order that people might more powerfully come to know the Lord or, or new people might come to know the Lord. What if that was true for you this morning? What if, and and there are many households where this is the reality today, there are great hardships throughout our community. What if you could believe this word today, that God uses such obstacles, God uses such trials and tests of our faith so that we might know him more intimately, but others might come to know him more intimately. Wouldn't that be comforting wouldn't that help us to not be so afraid? Wouldn't that help us to stand firm and to be confident before the Lord if we could believe that this morning? Can you live with that truth? Because if you can live with that truth, it's a life-changing truth that God puts his people in heavy and difficult circumstances In dire situations, both that we might have reason for greater faith, but also others might come to know and believe in the God who redeems and saves. How that could change us as the church. But a hard-hearted Pharaoh, he has no eyes that can see this. He has fallen back into an old pattern of sin. He has taken his army out. He believes that this Lord has abandoned his people. And as we read in verse 8, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. Now, verse 8 is one of those verses that's hard to translate. I think what the Hebrew is getting at here is ultimately, while the the defiant Pharaoh is once again pursuing the people of God, that God is rising up. It's not so much focusing on the people of Israel, but God rises up to meet him, and he is defiantly going to protect his people from evil. That while Pharaoh is going out once again in order to subject his the, the once uh, slaves and back into bondage, God will not let them fall back into the same kind of bondage. And by verse 9, this massive army is arrayed with chariots and horses, soldiers, and a Pharaoh who believes he's a descendant of the sun god. And they draw in upon the heels of the people of God. And starting in verse 10, it's not just Pharaoh who falls into an old pattern of sin. It's clear that the people of God are ready to give up. They believe that God has led them to a dead end. They believe they've convinced themselves that the God who did so much for them in order to free them from slavery has, won, has fallen one plan short of saving them from the hand of evil. This is a deathbed-like fear. No way out of what comes next. And here is the irony. God led them to what appears to be a dead end in human reasoning so that they might learn a simpler truth that we all need to remember in moments that feel like a dead end. Faith is always the way forward, even in dead ends. But in the human condition, we convince ourselves of lies such as we just have to suffer alone. We just have to bear it alone. No one else really understands. No one else really cares as they should. No one really else really has the ability to give me comfort that I need in such moments like these. And we hit these moments of despair and we forget. Faith is the way forward when we reach such obstacles. And so as we see, it's not just evil that has returned to sin in our passage, but we can see... Uh, the people as well have returned to old patterns of sin as their faith is being tested. The people say to Moses in verse 11, It is because there, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness. What have you done bringing us out to Egypt? Now, I'm, I'm somebody who loves sarcasm. And the Bible has some great godly sarcasm within it. This is not great and godly sarcasm here. It's a sinful sarcasm, of which sometimes I'm guilty of myself. But Egypt is the place of burial. They still have a thriving tourist economy because people like to go out there and see where people used to be buried. In ancient Egypt, even for those who might remember, who were the traders that bought Joseph out of the pit into slavery? They were Midianite traders who were trading, going down to Egypt in order to trade the kinds of burial ointments that you needed for Egyptian burial. And so the people cry out and once again fall into a pattern that they fell into in chapter 5 of being mad about the God who is their Savior and their Redeemer in their great trial and test of faith, and they lack a more deep faithfulness. Basically, so you're going to let us die here, God, rather than just letting us, just leaving us alone in Egypt. And to be fair, they are surrounded by doubts, literally surrounded by doubts. They are surrounded by three sources of death. One direction they see wilderness, which they can't run to. They can't survive out there on their own. The climate is unforbidding. Then another direction they see Egyptians. They can't run to them. Because the Egyptians are there to cut them down. And then behind them they see a vast sea, which they can't run to for fear of drowning. And so, in their fear, in their faithlessness, these people have forgotten who their God is. But God still will not be forget to be faithful to them. And God will not forget to love them. And God will not forget to what he's promised forget what he has promised his people, and God will not forget to be merciful to them. Our doubts are falling back into patterns of sin, even our saying sinful words against God or towards God, or even being surrounded by the fear of death. It's not the sum total of our journey in faith with God, and that's good news this morning. No, actually, his ways are holy. His ways are patient. His ways are kind. His ways are long-suffering, And while people cry out that they'd rather be buried in Egypt, God remembers the cries for a new land of promise. God remembers the assurances he gave the patriarchs and all those who believe in him, that we would one day receive a greater land. And then look at what Moses says in this moment. You remember what happened to Moses? Last time we were in a moment like this in chapter five. How did Moses respond? How did Moses respond? Faithful or faithless? Do we remember? Anybody? Who's faithless? God, I knew this was gonna happen. I don't know why you brought me here. There was an obstacle in chapter five that Moses couldn't get behind get get around. And his faith crumbled at that critical hour. And the beautiful thing about this passage, one of the beautiful testaments, is Moses' faith holds firm in chapter 14 in this moment. Previous obstacles of faith have actually further sanctified Moses, further grown his faith so that he might declare something beautiful amidst the congregation of the Lord. He says, fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Another way to put this, have faith. Well, God's pathways will sometimes lead you to roads that you do not want to tread upon, God has brought you here to this very moment, at every moment, with purpose. When our solutions and our ideas begin to dead end, it's then that God does some of his most amazing works. Every moment of our lives. I thought about this passage in Job that just always makes me smirk in chapter 7, verses. 17 through 19 this week. Here is this people, they believe that God's forgotten about them. And there's this great time in in chapter 7 of Job, where Job is lamenting his life and the situation he is in. And he says the following, starting in verse 17. What is man that you make so much of him, speaking to God, that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? And Why I bring that up is here are these people. They're prone to thinking God has abandoned them. Here is Job in chapter 7, and he goes, no, you don't understand. God's so connected to you. God so surrounds you that you can't even swallow your spit. Without him knowing. And you dare fear. You dare struggle with obstacles of faith. When you have a God that so cares for you like that. They are literally surrounded by the glory of God in this moment. The presence of God. And Moses stands firm. All the fullness of heavenly attention was upon this little spot in the wilderness. Whether we're talking about this place set against the red or reed sea, or we're talking about Waxall, either is true. You can't even swallow your spit without the Lord's knowing, but the people's faith buckled because they let, lost sight of that. Let us not lose sight of that too. But then we come to our closing verse, and this is just an incredible verse to end on. This is an amazing verse. This is a passage. This is a section of Scripture that every Hebrew loves. This is probably like we did a straw poll of Hebrew young boys and their favorite chapter of the Bible. It's probably this chapter. And I I dare say, I think verse 15 is the highlight. Even while all this spectacular stuff is going on, I can't wait to speak about verse 20 next week. But verse 15 is a unique high point. And let me read it. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. So, why is that so significant? Who's been complaining in this passage? Let's hear it. I can't hear it. There's fans. The people of Israel. All right. For those of you who are in the Koine Greek, when you see an English you, what do you have to figure out? If it's a you or a y'all, because the English language, we need a y'all, folks. And we don't have a y'all. The Southerners are right. Who's been the only faithful son of Israel in this scene? Moses. The you in that verse. Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. That's in the singular to Moses. Moses is being blamed for the sin of the people. Moses is acting as a mediator in the high point chapter of the Old Testament. And what is the human kind of understanding and thinking when we think of Moses getting blamed for something he didn't do? That's not fair. He didn't do that. That was the people's sin. That was the people's sin. And yet, here we are at the high point of the Old Testament literature for every young Hebrew boy. And they know that question. They can read it in the singular in the Hebrew, and they're going, Why is Moses being blamed for the sin of the people the way forward? And yet we as people of the new covenant, what do we know that they didn't know? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That the one who had no part in the sin was the mediator for our sin so that we could have a way forward through the waters the waters of death, so that we can have a way forward for our salvation as death surrounds us, as the greatest obstacle of all obstacles is before us, death, even death itself, the greatest dead end of all dead ends. That's the gospel. And that's the good news. And that's the question at the heart of this passage. And it would have been a head scratcher To those of the old covenant, it would have been a head scratcher as. Why did God do this? Why does God allow this? Why did God change direction so that this all came to pass? Why is God blaming Moses for this sin? And it's so. That we might have a a taste. That we might have a better understanding. Of how God has. Has fully counted all our steps he's fully counted all our days he's fully aware of everything that we believe will be a dead end and it's faith that will carry us forward and it's the sacrifice of the perfect mediator jesus christ that will let us through the waters of death and so our call now is to take up and to follow him amen amen Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you have given us the greater Moses who can fully atone for all our sins because he never sinned. He was the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world so that we could be saved by the waters of baptism that are truly poured out through the power of your Spirit, Lord. Help guide us, help direct us, help us to stand fast, to be silent in our criticisms against you in in times where we doubt you, and to let us always remember that faith is always the, the way forward for us in salvation that you are a God who likes the bumpy road. You are a God who draws us to hard and difficult situations at times so that we might see more clearly and others might come to believe in you. So we praise you for that gift that we have received. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Now let us take a moment privately and quietly to confess our sins before the Lord.